ABC Listen. Podcasts, radio, news, music and more. Well, post the Australian Open, I thought we'd have a chat with a fellow who's been around tennis for, well, a little while now. Uh, These days, he's a very insightful commentator, but he's a fine player too. Top 20 player in the world back in the 90s. Of course, played a Davis Cup for Australia, captained the Davis Cup for Australia and has a great record in singles and doubles around the world. I speak, of course, of Wally Masur and he's on the line. G'day, mate. How are you? Yeah, good to talk to you, Wally. First thing I didn't know about you, you were born in England. I didn't know that. Yeah, well, that's right. I was. I, was. I think I was there about three weeks in total. Um, <laughs> Mum's Australian, Dad was Austrian, but they were working overseas at the time. So yeah, I, right. I was born in England, but they, they pretty much came over here straight after. Yeah, I think you're only two, weren't you? So you're an Aussie, mate, through and through. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I was literally, I was on a boat in, at three or four weeks. I was, oh, there you go. I was out of yeah. there. There you go. Yeah. Now, uh, the Australian Open, gee, Wally, I thought it was a great tournament. Uh, the standard of the tennis just seems to get better and better. Yeah, no, it does. There's no question. Um, you know, obviously, technology's come a long way and, you know, the training methods. And the, probably the big thing for me is the depth now. Yeah. Um, yep. Even if you go and watch qualifying, there are players ranked 150, 170, and they're just good. They're just good. And there's not a lot of difference between 70 and 170, to be honest. Um, And if you look in the men's draw, qualifiers did well. Yastremska, a female qualifier, got to the semifinal. Yeah. Um, You know, a couple of wild cards. So they were outside the main draw. They were given wild cards, you know, got to the fourth round. So there was some, you know, the the depth is incredible. the ball striking is incredible, and yeah, the athleticism is incredible. It just keeps improving. Yeah, well, and and the women now hit it hard. You see that uh, speed uh, meter on the serve, and they're getting it up over two hundred k's now. Yeah, yeah, no, it's um, and as I say, look, you know, the technology plays a part. You know, the string technology in the last you know ten fifteen years has mm. just come ahead in leaps and bounds. So the, it's actually changed the way the game is played. Mm. Um, it's very hard to compare eras because of the equipment. Um, it is, yeah. But the, so the you know, and I talk about the depth, but you know, another thing is just the size of the athlete. So mm. if, you, if you go back to like McEnroe Connors, you're talking about a lot of guys that were five eleven. Now you've got guys that are six three, six four, moving well, and um, you know they're just they're bigger and stronger. You know, the the size of the athletes has, has yeah. changed dramatically. Yeah, and serving from a long way up when you're 6'4", six, 6'5". Six, huh? Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah, well, you know, I think the final, I think Sinner is 6'3", and Medvedev mm. probably 6'5". Um, and they would have been outliers back in the day, but now that's, that's not unusual. No, it's not. Uh, we'll talk about them in a tick, but as far as Novak's concerned, he called it his worst ever uh, game in a final. It'd be too early to, to write Novak off just yet, but we are reaching this end of what's been an extraordinary era with him and with uh, Roger and with Rafa, and it's been you know 20 years or more, and they've always been there, but we're coming to the end now, aren't we, I think? Yeah, that's right. Obviously, Rafa, funnily enough, he came back after a year off tour to get mm. himself physically right. And he broke down again in his uh, yeah. in his match with Jordan Thompson a little bit in the third set. So, oh, you know, at, at that age, with all of those miles in his body, things are going to go wrong. So mm. you can't imagine Rafa plays on too much more. And then Novak, well, the rest yeah. of the field's getting better. They're catching up. Um, and and they've almost learnt from him, you know, the, <laughs> yeah. the stuff that he brought to the game. You know, once it's known, it's known, and um, yeah. they'll take it a step further. You know, the great players add something to the game. Novak certainly done that. Yeah, and then and then other players copy, imitate, and you know, 
yeah. age catches up with us all. Yeah, exactly. And that you know applies to all sports and they find you out eventually, don't they? Yeah. Yeah, that's yeah. right. But he's, you know, as you say, I think it's still too early to mm. write him off. He's mm. probably, he'll fire a few more shots. But, you know, with the likes of Sinner and Alcaraz, uh, you can see that there's a new generation coming in the men's game. Yeah, Sinner, Alcaraz in particular. But do you think we'll ever see an era that's been so dominated by three players? Because they really did. And it was, gee, the best part of 20 years that they did it. Yeah, well, I, you know, as a kid, I watched Bjorn Borg and I thought, well, no one will do what he did. And no. then I, Pete Sampras got a few more slams and you think, well, no one will do what he did. And then these guys just blew all the records out of the water. Three players, 20 plus slams. It's amazing. Um, yeah. I will put a little proviso on that. You know, back in the day, there was a, a massive distinction between surfaces. Mm. Um, you know, Wimbledon, uh, s- slow, uh, sorry, low bouncing, very slick. Um, Australian Open was, you know, rebound ace, grippy mm. and high bouncing, and then you had, you know, the hard courts of the US and the clay of the French, which was very slow. But the grass has gotten a little slower, the clay's gotten a little faster. So nowadays, you can pretty much play your game. You've just got to get used to the surface in terms of movement. Mm. Um, back in the day, if Pete Sampras made one semi final of the French Open, um, Matt Swalander, who was a you know win, won the French numerous times, never got past the quarters of Wimbledon. The the demands of each surface were very different. Now it's a bit more generic, and I think that helped the players. But having said that, they were absolutely extraordinary players to achieve what they did. Just their longevity, yeah, um, and their ability just to you know just to keep going, back it up day after day, year after year. It's phenomenal. Yeah, it really is. And uh, but that Yannick Sinner, I mean, I love watching him play. He's been coming and coming and coming. Now he's there. Yeah, that's right. He's um, he's been threatening. He's I mean, he's lost to Novak in some big matches before at Slams and. There's a lot of things that have to go right. You, you have to build uh, physicality over a period of years. You, you have to get experience in big matches over a period of years. Uh, you have to w- have some big wins to give you the belief. He added Darren Cahill to his team to yes. give him some new information. So you've got to constantly explore avenues to get better and better. And, um, but he's a, he's a terrific kid and he does everything so well. And he, he's actually going to get better. He's still improving. Um, but I think he's he's a pretty healthy uh, character to have at the top of our game. Yeah. Now, you've been around the game a, a long time uh, as far as the, the men's game is concerned, and now we've got Alex uh, there at uh, number 10, uh, but just can't seem to make that next step to elite. And, gee, Wally, I reckon it's probably a pretty big step. Yeah, it's a J-curve, isn't it? Yeah. Um, you know, where Alex, Alex was sort of ranked around 20, now he's 10. You know, the number of wins... And the number of points you've got to accumulate to jump that 10 spots, is, it's a year's work. It's enormous. Yeah. Um, got to, you know, you want to get to five and above, you've got you to replicate that, double that again. Um, it's pretty significant. So the, the great thing about Alex, though, is he's completely committed to the game. He loves the sport. He loves to compete. And he will leave no stone unturned to do it. And he's 24 now, I think. So give him, he'll probably play his best tennis between, say, 25 and 28. So, you know, even maybe a touch later. So give him a little bit of time and we'll see his absolute best. Yeah, and you watch uh, a lot of young players. Have we got some young players as good as Alex coming through now? Yeah, look, Alex was pretty special. We do have some good young players. I think it's going to take them a bit longer than Alex to break through um, because I keep talking about, you know, the nature of competition. It just 
it's the depth increases every year. But look, we do have some some good uh, players on the horizon, no question. We just had a young 15-year-old girl make the final of the Australian Juniors at 15 years of age. I mean, right. That's pretty yeah. healthy. Right. Um, so that, look, they're there, but you don't like to say too much because you know the journey. Injuries, uh, you know, they've got to be resilient. Yeah, sure. They've got to they've got to be willing to learn and grow and take on advice and they've got to be competitive. You know, there's so many things have to go right, but we absolutely do have some good young players in the wings. Yeah, and when you think about us, we did, you know, us and the Americans punch above our weight. I think we've had five world number one since the ATP started doing rankings. So that's obviously Nuke and Yvonne, uh, Pat Rafter, Leighton and Ash Barty. And of course, you know, Rod Laver would have been so at Margaret Court and probably Roy Emerson before yeah, that. Yeah, that's right. Before oh, yeah. that. Yeah, before that. Uh, so I, I guess we're all hanging out for another one. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We, we um, it's hard, it's, it's kind of funny, you know, because when I was coming through, obviously, we were sort of at the back end of that amazing generation, you know, the halcyon days of Australian tennis. But it, it became more global post-World War II. Um, you know, Europe rebuilt and the mm. economies are strong and they've got big populations and tennis is a popular sport with great facilities. You know, we, <coughs> we, we have to compete truly internationally. I think there's 148 countries represented in the Davis Cup. Um, and, and that's the nature of the sport. And, and you know, the other thing, too, is that other sports make inroads in, that's right, yeah. in terms of their professionalism and they grow in popularity. So, hmm. it's yeah, it's an interesting world out there and we would all love another another number one and we will get one, but it's not, you know, you can't just click your fingers and expect <laughs> no, it to happen. It's not that it's easy. Yeah, well, let's, yeah. Let's, let's hope it is, uh, Alex, because, geez, a competitive young fella. I mean, I, I see the look on his face, Wally. He hates to lose, doesn't he? Yeah, and you can see it just like when, you know, in his body language when he plays. I mean, he chases everything like his life depends on it. <laughs> yeah. um, and, he, and he fights, you know, and, and it's one of his great assets. You know, he, players know when they play Alex, they're going to have to get one extra shot every rally. They're going to have to stay with him and, mm. you know, they can't fold because he'll be right there to take advantage. You know, he's just a, an absolute terrier. There's no question about that. Yeah. Good point you make, and uh, I suppose it applies to a lot of sports and, and to cricket in particular and to football. There's so much competition for the kids these days as to what they play. But, I mean, the thing about tennis, it's, I mean, not particularly, uh, you know, expensive. You just need a, a decent racket and a ball and, and away you go. So are kids still taking up the game at a young age? Yeah, it's it's a popular sport. It's a very popular um, recreational sport. There's no question about that. And you know, I think its popularity even increased over COVID when people could actually, you know, two people could play tennis, for example. Um, you know, every court was full. People were dying for some for some exercise. Mm. But yeah, you're right. Look, you know, tennis <clears throat> has to compete with all of those other sports which have come ahead in leaps and bounds. I mean, you look at the um, you know, the NRL and the AFL in terms of their yeah. television rights now yeah. as opposed to 20 years ago. And, of course, they invest a lot of that money in junior development. So, yeah, there's no question tennis is up against it. And you say it's cheap. It can be cheap. But, you know, there's elements of tennis that travel. Yeah. Um, you know, the coaching, there's elements of it that are expensive as you progress. So the other thing, too, of course, is, and I don't know what you would call them, sedentary activities, but, you know, online, uh, oh, the, yeah. you know, the, yeah. whole, the whole gaming, you know, the kids is, Kids like sort of, uh, what would you call it? Um, you know, they like to be entertained fairly quickly. And tennis is kind of difficult to learn. You can't have a lot of fun early, if you yeah. know what I mean. Yeah. So, yeah, there's a, there's a lot of, um, you know, the, the world changes. But 
we still seem to produce you know really good players. We just lost in the final of the Davis Cup last year, the team competition. Yeah. Yeah. Matty Ebden just won the Australian Open doubles, Australian. So we just, yeah, we punch above our weight, to be honest. Yeah, we're still doing it, aren't we? Yeah, that's right. Yeah. And, yeah. It, and I imagine, and I know, you know, Nuke and, and Tony Roach did this uh, back in the day, and, and you've done it. Uh, Darren Cahill, of course, who's been tremendously successful. And Jason Stoltenberg was a, was a coach. Are you identifying these kids really early and then really trying to push them through? Yeah, Tennis Australia has a very uh, comprehensive program to, you know, to recognise talent, capture talent and nurture talent. There's no question about that. Um, and that's the benefit of having a big federation, um, you know, that generates a lot of money through the Australian Open. And, you know, the majority of that money gets poured back into junior development and right. places to play and et cetera, et cetera. So, yeah, there's, there's very comprehensive programs. And, you know, you could go through the top 100 men and all of them have had assistance, whether it be financial or coaching or, you know, various right, yeah. forms of assistance over the course of their journey. Um, definitely. So, you know, and, and Craig tyler has got to take a lot of credit for what he set up yep. Um, yep. when he came to Australia because he came as head of performance. That was his initial um, role before becoming CEO and drama director. Uh, he established academies all around the country. So, yes, it is a comprehensive program by Tennis Australia for sure. Yeah. Yeah, and it's, it's another good point. You're talking about, uh, you know, the competition for for the players to do something else. And uh, I'm just remembering that incredible performance by young Shamar Joseph for the West Indies. And no one expected the West Indies to beat Australia, and they did. And he bowls real quick. He's 24, and he's saying, no, I'm staying with cricket, and I'm not going to basketball or anywhere else. So I guess the point being, and I remember my own kids, my, one of my boys is pretty talented as a footballer, but you know, he got to 15 or 16 and became an apprentice, didn't want to hurt himself. So keeping is keeping them one of the issues? Yeah, retaining retaining kids. Uh, injuries, massive part of sport these days. Yeah. You know, um, and I'm not necessarily, you know, it's like in football, you're going to, you know, ACLs, you, can, you know, you almost end up with career-ending injuries. Sure. Tennis is a bit more, you know, you've, you've got to train hard and you've got to play hard and then you've got to guard against overuse injuries, you know. And we've seen players sidelined for long periods of time, you know, with stress fractures and various, you know, problems. Look at Dominic Team. You know, he won the U.S. Open, and mm. we haven't really cited him since due to wrist problems. So yeah, terrible. injuries. You know, you, you almost need a little bit of luck on that on the journey. Um, good, good management, and and a little bit of luck. You know, sometimes injuries play a massive part in players' careers. So you know, retaining them. Mm. Tennis. I mean, tennis pretty good lifestyle. You get to travel the world, and um, I think most players enjoy it. I think you know, you, you've got to make sure players develop their character and are resilient because you suffer a lot of losses mm. um, and you've got to be able to bounce back quickly. So, you know, there's, I would see them as positives, but some people might see them as negatives, but you yeah. know, retaining players is not always a problem. Um, keeping them healthy and engaged sometimes is. Yeah. And if you, you know, top 50, top hundred, I imagine it's a pretty good living, isn't it? I, I think if you're top hundred these days, you're doing pretty well. Yes. Okay. Right. Um, I would like to see the money dribble a bit lower um, because, mm. as I say, I think there's some real, there's genuine quality. So 100 players in the main draw of a slam, 100 players get direct entry, and then, you know, the players between 100 and, say, 250 are battling through the qualifying to get some mm. play, you know, the, the remaining spots to fill out the 128 draw. Mm. Uh, I, I look at them and they're good, um, and some of them it's a struggle to, you know, to to be financial and I'd like to see the money just trickle down a little bit further somehow um, as a slightly different spread. But if you're top hundred, you certainly make some good money and, and look, the very best players make 
yeah. an absolute bomb, but that's probably the way it should be. <laughs> yeah, yeah, they, well, yeah. They drive, they drive the sport. Yeah, I'm talking to Wally Masur about uh, tennis. And, you know, that's the point. I mean, it's such a, a great game to watch, and I wonder how many viewers just watch the Australian Open and don't have a look, because these days you can see tennis anywhere, and have a look at some of the great performances right throughout the year. But uh, we do love that Australian Open, don't we? It's just such a terrific couple of weeks in, in Melbourne. It's great. Well, I think Australia, you know, obviously our footy codes are, are huge over the winter. Um, you know, we, we love an Ashes test, or, you know, whether that be in England or Australia. We, mm. you know, the Boxing Day test, there are just some fixtures in our, if, you're a, if you like your sport, there are just some fixtures in our, you know, the Melbourne Cup. There are just some fixtures in our sporting calendar that are must-see events. Um, and I think the Australian summer of tennis has kind of reached, it, it's at that point, isn't it? You know, the yeah. Australian everyone sort of understands that January the players come down and it culminates in the Australian Open. And it's, I think they got a million people through the gate this year. Which yeah. Is unbelievable. Yeah. Um, it's amazing. Yeah, it is. And the television ratings were very good, but they, they always tend to be because, as I say, it's a, just such a great event and we love to watch it. I mean, Novak wasn't in it, but, uh, wow, the final, goodness, I thought it made And I stayed up. <laughs> a lot of people didn't. I thought, oh, I'll just stay up for one more set and uh, Sinner won, won that one. And then, oh, we win another one. And uh, just an extraordinary performance, really. And the pressure those players must be under uh, in that arena uh, to, to win that. And you've got to feel for Medvedev. He's, he seems to be a, a bridesmaid a lot, doesn't he? Yeah, but gee, he was, you know, the tournament was a good tournament. And if you go back through the draw, he, I mean, he had some epic three oh, epic yeah, five set yeah. wins to get there. Even his semi final win. And he's kind of an engaging character and he's a little bit quirky the way <laughs> yeah. he plays and he, he'll change his game style, you know, mid match. You know, you never quite know what to expect. So I actually really enjoyed watching him and I felt a bit sorry for him because in the end, it, it must be said, he, he ran out of legs just that little bit and it hurt him. Yeah, yeah. Um, and Sinner obviously was good enough to, to hold on, hold on and stay in that third set and turn it around. But, um, you know, it, it was a it was a great final. It, it was, the Medvedev semi-final was a great semi-final too. Yeah. So there was some, and, and Novak was not at his best for whatever reason against Yannick. Mm. Um, but as you say, at 30, 36, 37... Yeah. Every now and then, you know, these things will happen. You'll have a day where you're not at your best, and it hasn't been too many for Novak. But he just struggled a little bit, you know, throughout the tournament. He mm. he just couldn't quite get his find his groove. Um, but yeah, as you said before, I wouldn't write him off. Oh no, no, it certainly wasn't the Novak uh, that we know. But uh, no, not yet. There's, as you say, there's some life left in those legs yet. Well, I mean, it was lovely to talk to you, mate. I, I just thought I'd do a, a little. Uh, post-mortem, if you like, on the Australian Open, and it just, as you said, just seems Yeah, no, to get, it was a good event. It yeah, was a good event. Yeah, it gets better yeah, and better. Yeah, not at all. Yeah, and uh, lovely to talk to you. Thanks very much for your time, Wally. Good on you, Tim. Thanks, mate. All the best, though. Yeah. Wally Masur. ABC Listen. Podcasts, radio, news, music, and more. 